Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Hi, church. It's time for another series. And man, am I excited for this new series post-Easter. Boy, didn't we have a great time together last week? And now here we are, excited about the spring and a new season um, you know, Sunday, last Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. It's always about Jesus. It's about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And, and you know what? We're just going to stay on the theme of Jesus. That feels right to us to stay on the theme of Jesus. And so we're going to walk through the book of Mark, which is one of the four accounts of the life of Jesus. There are four, known as the four Gospels. And this word gospel actually means good news. And so you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all of them have, you know, reference to the same Jesus. They're telling the, you know, the same story, but from a different perspective. It's similar content, but each of the Gospels has a different focus. And so kind of to help you understand that, it would be like if you had a, a similar content, but you wanted to present it in different movie genres. So, if we we're going to do this in movie genres, we'd have to look at Matthew and Luke as documentaries. Um, Matthew is like a Jewish genealogy, and, and the documentary is proving the royal birthright of Jesus. And, and when we think about Luke, Luke would be like a medical journal that's just like chronicling miracles that prove, you know, because Luke was a doctor, proved that Jesus did what no doctor could ever do. He was one who brought miracles. And then when you skip forward to John, John is a love story. And it's this beautiful display of the endless love of Jesus for every single person. But we're going to look at Mark. And Mark is an action movie. Yeah, I, I just love the book of Mark. It's my favorite of the Gospels, and it's such a fun journey in the adventures of Jesus. In fact, some scholars would call it the busiest of all the Gospels, because what we see in it is Jesus constantly on the move. In fact, the word immediately is used more than 40 times in the book of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is Jesus in action. In other words, there's this minimum of discourse and this maximum of deed. We're going to see all that Jesus did, all the things that he did that displayed his glory and his authority and his power. And the author's name is John Mark. And John Mark is referenced in many of the other New Testament books. Paul references him, and so does Peter. And he's the author, yet scholars would suggest that this gospel could have been called the gospel of Peter because the apostle Peter was Mark's main source. They were very close. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter calls Mark his son. There was this love, this affection. And so Mark learned what he did from Peter and dictated from Peter. Um, and so this is a really important source for Mark in his gospel. And it's possible, actually, that Mark was in the larger crowd of people that surrounded Jesus. It's very possible. There's some, some reference to that in the Bible. Um, he, he would have probably been a young person, maybe even a child or a young adult at the most. But 
Mark is the first of the four Gospels to ever be written. And it was written in AD 50. And Mark wrote this account while in Rome, and he wrote it for the Roman mind. And this is very important because the reason why is because this has become now an invaluable uh, piece of gospel scripture because there, there's a very different kind of reference point in it. It doesn't, you know, the book of Mark doesn't reference Judaism like some of the other of the gospel accounts do, which means it's very useful in translation. And in fact, when translators want to bring the Bible to a new people group, they usually begin with the gospel of Mark. Isn't that cool? And, and further to that fact, Mark is not just the most translated book in the Bible. It is the most translated book in the whole world. Isn't that cool? So that should get you excited. You should be getting excited to look into it with me. So let's have some fun together. And really my heart is this. Although the book of Mark has been available to you and to me our whole lives, and it's been available in English for hundreds of years, I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to bring this gospel to life for you this spring. Will you believe that with me? Will you believe that God has something to say to you out of this book this spring? And so let's get started, hey? Let's jump into the very first verse of Mark, Mark chapter 1, verse 1. And here's what Mark says. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. I've already told you that the word gospel means good news. And so this is one of the four gospels. And the Greek word for gospel or good news would, would literally translate joyful tidings. Now, now you understand why you go to GT Church. Because GT Church is glad tidings. In other words, this is, this is an origin point for us. The gospel is an origin point for us. The meaning here is that we are good news people. We're here to spread the good news of Jesus. That's what we're all about. And so Mark starts his gospel really intentionally. He uses the language here that would be used in Roman culture to introduce a historical event. In fact, all of the festivals of Caesar would be announced with this exact same language. In fact, a calendar inscription from about 9 BC that was found in Preen in Asia Minor says this. This is what it says about Octavian, which was Augustus, Caesar Augustus. It says, the birthday of the God was for the world, the beginning of joyful tidings, which have been proclaimed on this account. I, I just love this because this inscription is remarkably similar to Mark's initial line, isn't it? And here's the point. The point is that Mark's goal was to connect the Roman mind to Jesus as a better king who brings a new and eternal kingdom. Listen, Roman, you know what it's like to live under Caesar. You understand that kingdom. You understand that king. In fact, you live in the dominant culture of the day. But I'm here, Mark is saying, to introduce to you a new king and a new kingdom, a better king and an everlasting and eternal kingdom. And here's the, the real shift. This king, Mark explains in his gospel, came to serve us first. He came to serve. 
this king came to serve. And then as a result, he asks us to serve him. So in order for Mark's argument to be convincing, he has to establish Jesus as king with authority, right? Because Caesar was one with great authority. And he does this in, in really in two different ways. So let me explain. The first one is this. He claims Jesus's authority is established through powerfully reliable sources, okay? And, and I'm just going to give you the three sources as they come up in the actual passage that we're reading right now. So the first source is what, would, what I'll call ancient prophet. It's about the prophet Isaiah with a reference to Micah here that proved uh, to make accurate predictions. In other words, you could look back 700 years before Jesus was born, you could look at the life of Isaiah, you could read his writing, and you could look at him and say, wow, that prophet was, was correct in what he said about King Cyrus and the Persian Empire and all that. Now looking back, they could say that source is reliable. And so Mark starts there. The ancient prophet Isaiah said something, and he was right in what he said. And so that's where Mark takes us into verse 2. Just as the prophet Isaiah had written, Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. So Mark quotes both Micah and Isaiah in this little passage here. And, and really what he's saying is, is Isaiah told us that there was going to be a forerunner, that someone was going to come and clear the road and prepare the way. And so Mark brings that up to us because he's about to introduce to us another source, not just Isaiah, but a more current source in Mark's world. And this second source is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is actually the fulfillment of that ancient prophecy. And let's read on. Verse 4, it says, This messenger was John the Baptist. Mark spells it out. The one that Isaiah was talking about was John the Baptist. And he was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they have re had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. So now this is important because what, what Mark is actually attesting to is that everybody who was in Jerusalem and all those in Judea knew who this guy was and believed that he was a prophet. Everyone believed his message. Now, it, it makes this sort of you know, this allegorical statement about all of Judea. And, and we use that term still today, like, oh man, everybody in Victoria is talking about this. Are they? Well, no, but it, it's, it's like something we say when it's like, wow, this is a big deal, or this has become a, a topic of conversation, or this is sort of well-known, right? And so that's what they're saying here. John the Baptist was well-known, well-respected, and people believed his message. In fact, so many people agreed with his message so that they too were baptized, not only in Judea, but in Jerusalem, which was the religious capital. And so John was reliable, okay? And so this second source. Now, now let's, let's keep reading here because here's what it says John actually says. John announced, Someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. 
And then John begins to express his ministry in contrast to the ministry of the one who's to come. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So in other words, you're going to know that the one that I'm talking about is here when the Holy Spirit shows up. So now Mark has introduced us to two sources. One is the ancient prophet. One is the most recent prophet, which was John the Baptist. And the third source that he uses to proclaim the authority of Jesus is God himself. This is a good source. In fact, let's read on. In Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 9, it says, One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. Now, this is a very humble beginning to what will be, in just a matter of verses, a remarkable story. Jesus was actually a common name. And where Jesus came from, Nazareth, was actually an obscure and despised village. In fact, Nazareth wasn't a place that people really lived. It's where they worked, and so they camped there. That's what Nazareth really was. It was a despised place. It was an awful place. And not only that, he was from Galilee, which was the unspiritual region. It's where the fishermen lived, not the religious, not those with piety. They all lived in Jerusalem. So he has a common name from a despised village, from the unspiritual region, and he identified with sinful men by being baptized. In other words, he was saying, I need my sin to be looked at. Now, this is from the perspective of the outsider. He identified with sinful men. All of these things really put him in a very humble place. Now, Jesus never sinned. Let's be clear. But he identified with sinful men in obedience to his father. And we'll hear the pleasure of his father in just a moment. But he was also baptized in an unpleasant river. In fact, it's the Mishnah, which proclaims Jewish custom. And it suggests that the Jordan River, where Jesus was baptized, was not adequate for the cleansing of the body for going into the temple. And so it's a very humble beginning. We've got Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee, baptized in the Jordan. It's not a very glorious story. In fact, a lot of people might go, oh, especially a Roman. Ugh, gross. Okay, whatever. But then verse 10 changes everything. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart. And remember what John said? Baptism in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. Now, all of a sudden, there's a new context for water baptism. The Spirit is showing up. And that was the evidence, the evidence that Jesus is who he said he is. And a voice from heaven. I mean, come on, listen to this. You are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. (laughs) What just happened? Humble beginnings and an extraordinary end to this third source. Heaven opens, spirit descends, father speaks, and the son is affirmed. I want you to see that. Heaven opens, spirit descends, father speaks, the son is affirmed. The father, the son, and the spirit all present at the baptism of Jesus. I mean, Mark is making so many things so clear to the reader and to you and to me. 
So, so Mark begins to use these sources, these reliable sources, to declare the authority of Jesus. But Mark also claims Jesus is a king with authority because of his deeds. And, and it really starts immediately following um, the, the next few verses. The Bible says that Jesus goes to Capernaum and he starts to call all the disciples to himself, you know, Peter and Andrew and James and John and so on. They're all in Capernaum area. But the way that Mark begins to express the authority of King Jesus is, is, is he begins to tell us about the authority of his teaching and his authority over demons. So while Jesus is in Capernaum, he goes to the synagogue on, a, on, on the day when everybody gathered on the Sabbath, and he's in the synagogue, and he's teaching. And he's teaching, and the people are amazed. But while he's teaching, a man who's in the synagogue bursts out in a demonic possession response to, to the, the divinity of Jesus and begins to call Jesus out. I know who you are, and if you come here to, you know, to harm me, and, and Jesus silences the, the demon and casts the demon out. And then Mark chapter 1, verse 27 picks up the story. And here's what it says. Amazement gripped the audience. And they began to discuss what had happened. I mean, they were in awe. They couldn't believe it. They said, what sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. And so Mark begins to have Jesus ascend to this, this kingly authority through his teaching and his authority over demons. I just, I love the picture that's being created for us so far. And I think as a follower of Jesus, I just, I just want you to back up. Now we're, we're getting kind of deep into this idea of what Mark is trying to do in, in helping the Roman mind see Jesus in the right light because they were so Caesar-centric, Right? But I want you to think now as a believer, what did we see of Jesus? First, we saw the submission of Jesus. He submitted to his father in baptism. And now we see the authority of Jesus. The authority of Jesus that flows out of that. Here's the key. Authority flows from submission. In other words, we aren't safe with real authority from God unless we are also submitted to God. And so as a Christian, you want, you want to grow in the expression of Jesus in your life. You want to walk in, in the authority of Christ to, to be a servant of his and to, to bless the world around you. you. You have to understand this. Authority is given after submission. Submit first. Submit fully. Submit more. And submit often but you might walk in that real authority. Second thing I want to talk to you about in this context is, you know, Mark is trying to help, help us see the authority of Jesus. And so we saw it over, over demons and through his teaching. And, and, and now Mark begins to have us um, see Jesus's authority over sickness and over disease. You see, as this story continues, they leave the synagogue and they go to Peter's house and Peter's mother-in-law is there and she's not well. She's sick. She has a fever. In fact, it's well known that there was a fever that was common in the region around the Galilee. 
And, and, they, and people would get very, very sick with this fever, a high temperature, and some people would pass away from it. And so Peter's mother-in-law is sick with this fever. Jesus goes into her and takes her by the hand, heals her, and she gets up and she begins to serve Jesus and those who are with him. And, and then the storyline continues as, as Jesus begins to go and, and work out his ministry, always on the move. And we see in verse 40, uh, now we've talked about sickness. Now let's look at disease. It says, a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are will willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly, the Bible says, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. I mean, Mark is doing a tremendous job of helping us see the authority of Jesus that comes from reliable, trusted sources and also comes from Jesus' own deeds, his ability. He is a king with authority. So the question is, how did Jesus use his authority? Because the Romans understood how Caesar used his. The question is, did Jesus use his authority like Caesar did? Did he use it to dominate, to build armies, to assimilate and to conquer? Did he use his authority to build a palace or erect a, a statue of himself and in his own honor? Of course not. No. Jesus used his authority to serve humanity by doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. Hey? You see, the Roman reader isn't ready yet to hear this truth. It's too much for them. They see their leader, their king, as being this untouchable, godlike character that should be worshipped and served. But Mark is going to help them understand what a better king looks like. And Mark actually quotes Jesus in Mark 10, 45. And here's what he says. For even the Son of Man, which is Jesus, it was a, a name that Jesus used for himself, which was a reference to his prophetic role, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we'll get to chapter 10 at some point in our series. But, but what I want you to see here is that Jesus had every right to have greater glory and greater honor than Caesar did. Yet he used his power to win us to himself. He gave his life as a ransom for your life. He gave his life as a ransom for yours. And you know what? Maybe you've never responded to this great gift that Jesus has given you. Do that today. I want to tell you with all confidence, do that today. The Bible teaches us. The Bible actually says that the gift of God that Jesus offers you through his life is the gift of eternal life. 
And here's how you receive that gift. You receive that gift by offering Jesus your allegiance. This King of Kings. You give your allegiance to Jesus. And this means that I no longer live as though I'm the king. I now look and say, Jesus, you're the king. And what you're actually doing is you begin to serve the king who served you first. You now serve the servant king. And I want you to know he loves you. We see it over and over again through his deeds. He cares about you. He cares about those who are around him. And as you draw near to him, you come in contact with Jesus. He's going to care about you. He's going to love you. He's going to bless you. But honestly, you also get this beautiful opportunity to love him and to bless him. It's so wonderful. And listen, maybe you've been waiting for this opportunity. Maybe you're seeing Jesus as the king of your life now today. You're saying, yeah, Andy, that's exactly what I believe and it's exactly what I want. Then I want to encourage you, text LIFE to the number on the screen. Because when you do, our team's going to reach back to you. They're going to love on you a little bit. They're going to encourage you. We always have a gift for you. We always have a new Bible to give you. And maybe you're watching at church online. And just now there's going to be a box that comes up in the chat that allows you just to click yes to Jesus. I'm giving my life. I'm committing my life to Christ. This is that act of giving your allegiance to the servant king, Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you because this is the very best decision you could ever make. And I'm not quite finished yet. I want to talk to maybe the same group, but also to others. You see, Mark's goal was to establish the authority of Jesus as a better king than Caesar. So my question to you is, where do you need the authority of Jesus in your life? If you've never made him Lord, then you need to do that. But maybe, maybe it's one of the things that Mark brought up to us in this first chapter. Maybe you need deliverance. Maybe you need Jesus' authority over the enemy that was expressed here. Maybe you're suffering with a with an addiction, you're, you're battling in your own soul, you feel perplexed, you feel heavy, you feel as though you're being attacked by the enemy, you feel as though you're, you know, your faith is being attacked and you, you, you feel as though your environment is unhealthy and you, you just need the deliverance of Jesus. And so what you need actually is the authority of Jesus over the enemy in your life. If you need that, just receive that today. Yes, Jesus, I receive your authority right now your authority over the enemy in my life. Maybe you're facing disease. Maybe you're looking at sickness. Maybe it's a fear of COVID. Maybe it's an illness of your own. And what you need is Jesus's authority that was expressed here in Matthew 1 over illness and disease. That's what you need right now. So I just proclaim in Jesus' name and through the authority of Christ healing for you, as you listen right now, receive that in the name of Jesus. Receive healing from the authority of Jesus over illness and disease. And, and I just, I believe that some people are really having trouble with the Bible, having trouble understanding the words of Jesus, having trouble reading the Bible. It's as if the enemy has kind of put a, a blinder over your eyes and you read it and it feels like it's not penetrating your soul or your heart. And you know what? When those who heard Jesus speak heard him, they said, this is a teaching with authority. And so I pray in Jesus' name for you. I just pray right now that the authority of Jesus' teaching would come to rest on you. 
that the scriptures would be open, that you'd be able to read the Bible and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit would grab hold of you, that you would feel that the teachings of God's word are alive in you and that you would be released from a dry and, and, and seemingly dead spirituality into a vibrant life with Jesus where the teachings of Christ are alive in you in Jesus' mighty name. So Lord, I just pray for every person who's watching I pray in the name of Jesus that you would minister to that one that's submitting their life to you, proclaiming their allegiance to you. And I, and I pray also for those who are saying yes to the authority of Jesus in various areas of their life. And I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would release, that you would deliver, that you would heal, that you would empower, that you would open up our understanding and that you would come and reside in the hearts of those who are opening up their lives to you. And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And we thank you for a great start to a new series. In Jesus' name, amen.